Hey there, language lovers. Shannon Kennedy here, co-host of the Language Hacking Podcast, along with Benny Lewis. And in this episode of the podcast, we're talking to Janina Klimas, a certified reading specialist and language teacher about acquisition versus learning, how acting can boost your language learning and teaching, building excitement around languages for your students as a teacher, figuring out your proficiency and levels in a language, why recording yourself speaking is so important, and independent versus academic learning success. If you're enjoying the podcast, please let us know. Share your thoughts over at languagehacking.com slash review. Doing so helps us create more great content for you, and it helps other learners like yourself find the podcast. Now, let's get into our interview with Janina. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 58. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. All right. Welcome to this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. We're chatting with Janina, a certified reading specialist and language teacher about all sorts of things, studying abroad, teaching abroad and everything else. So let's just go back to the very beginning. And Janina, tell us how you got into languages. Um... So I studied languages at school like so many people do. I studied both um, French and Spanish. Um, I really loved French because it felt like a kind of, quote unquote, real foreign language, you know, living in New Mexico. So so often everything's named, you know, the, all the geography, the names of the streets, you know, it was Spanish. You can't live there without learning some Spanish. Um, and I just really enjoyed it. My teachers were amazing and very accomplished people. And I have an aunt and an uncle who both did languages as well, but they had very interesting careers that were completely transformed by languages, just completely opportunities that would just have not been open to them otherwise. And they're super interesting people. I really love them both a lot. So that really got me like, whatever I do, I'm going to become, you know, I'm going to study languages. And so when I went to university, I actually got a degree in languages and in theater arts. So I used to be an actress and I was in an awful movie. And my father's like, I'm not supporting um, an out of work actress. So you better find a job. So I was able to train as a language teacher and I loved it. And I did a master's degree in Spain and I've been teaching languages for 27 years now. And what's your teaching approach when it comes to uh, what you've picked up from all that? So um, I use a, really a variety of things. It's really, at the end of the day, very research-based, though I can't say that I think I knew that when I first started teaching. When when I came to teaching, I knew I loved languages and I knew a lot about acting in theater. So I kind of used both of those things. And at the end of the day, again, it's research-based, so sort of crash in that acquisition and learning. So acquisition being those things that we naturally soak up when we're, when we're acquiring a language, you know, just like we do our native language. So, you know, through songs and music and talking and real communicative experiences in reading and learning and learning about interesting content. So doing all of that through comprehensible input, right. That's really important, but also I'm very, I'm pretty traditional in, you know, really having deliberate activities to where people will you know, master verbs and understand grammar so that they could really control it. So really a combination of those two things, because I think that that's the key to fast progress is understanding acquisition and learning how to use those two things. 
So one of the things that I always find really interesting is how our backgrounds and the other things that we do influence both our language learning and our language teachings. For example, I'm a professional musician. And so a lot of the way that I approach language learning are methods and strategies that I've learned through studying music, which is a, another very focused discipline. So since you have a background in acting, I'm curious if that's influenced your teaching or language learning at all. And if yes, how so? Absolutely. Um, so firstly, um, you know, at the end of the day, to go from sort of that actful, that novice range, which is just not knowing anything to knowing some sort of phrases, right? Or the A level, the the CEFR A level, that's the same thing. To be able to go from that point that the zero to being able to create a little bit with languages, you know, you can acquire language, which is obviously the ideal way to do it, but you can also use techniques from acting to get to that level, memorization, right? A, a combination of those two things. So you know, at the beginning, once you, because once you know enough words and phrases, you can create your own word, you can create your own sentences, right? That's, that's, it's really that simple. So memorizing dialogues, things like that, doing little plays, doing little skits, absolutely lots and lots of it. And then that repetition makes people confident. And then also as a learner, I think it's really helped with being able to do something with accents, you know, really being deliberate and thinking about, how people talk, what sounds they make and doing the best that I can to be able to mimic that. And now I'm very unsuccessful. I'm I, in some languages, I'm more successful than in others. I've had some pretty embarrassing uh, mishaps, which I'm sure that you can all relate to. You know, I've said some things that I'm still mortified about now because I didn't pronounce them correctly. But, you know, so, yeah, quite a bit. And um, do you think other aspects that uh, like are typical for actors to do like, uh, you know, warming up with improvisation and um, the, like, like you mentioned the repetition, but also the kind of confidence that you'll gain from um, kind of putting yourself in that place and, and kind of presuming, you know, this character and like fake it until you make it as a, as a form. Like, does that come into it? Uh, yeah, yeah. And But I think moreover, to be really honest with you, I mean, I think, you know, the three of us were here talking and we all know that we've all had to, you have to have some really uncomfortable experiences before you are a confident speaker of a language and you have to have them to get there, right? I mean, there's no negotiating. You're not going to all of a sudden be this great speaker. You have to be willing to make, you know, a big fool out of yourself. And I think that's what stops a lot of people from really learning languages is that, you know, especially competent people like, wow, I can do this, I can do this, I can do that. And here's the first thing that I'm going to have to be bad at for a while, you know. Um, but to be honest with you, I think that what you're saying absolutely is true. So, so building confidence, but at the end of the day, even if it, even if it makes some people feel terrible, the thought of doing those kinds of activities in a foreign language in front of other people, it lowers the affect because it's got a whole game aspect to it, fun community to where it doesn't, you start not caring about what you say. I would say that that is the bigger the 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 thing that a lot of people would probably get out of it more than the confidence necessarily. You had mentioned that your experience in school learning languages was positive and that you have really great teachers. And I know for a lot of language learners, they didn't share that experience and they didn't really feel like they came away from school with a language. And I think this says a lot to 
the teachers themselves and, you know, the things that they do to build enthusiasm and excitement around languages for their students. So I guess this is a two-part question. The first is, as a teacher, how can you help students find that excitement? And then two, what are some of the things that you do to be that teacher for your students? Um, You know, it's interesting. So learning languages at school, now having this other lens and understanding, you know, how a lot of times you know, a, a certain program is selected or certain curriculum are chosen, you know, and they're not necessarily chosen by language teachers. They, you know, a district might buy, here's what you're going to teach French with here, you know, here's the books. And you look at a book, look at the beginning of a French one book. And, you know, I think these are really interesting. Any language learner out there, you can buy them for a couple bucks on Amazon because I think they're actually really good re- reference sources, these school language books. You know, beginning of a French one book, it'll be all about, you know, L'école, right? So it's like all the schoolwork, you know, and, and bonjour and all of, you know, all of that basic stuff. And then go to the end of that French three book or the end of the French two book and they're doing, you know, subjunctive and if then statements and all this kind of stuff. And it's like a race to get from here to here. So a lot of times the teacher is handed, here you go. This is what you're supposed to do. And so to be able as a teacher, I try to make sense of that, right? So I try to always, you know, I'm not going to lower my standards, but I try to make it easier for students in facilitating through the activities. So that's one thing I do and doing lots and lots and lots of games, you know, try to make learning as fun as it is. Cause at the end of the day, you know, I'm telling you, I had these great teachers, um, but I also had the passion for it myself. I had seen what languages could do when I was eight years old. I went to, my father took me to the UN and I saw, you know, you walk around and, and you know, they've got their headphones and everyone's speaking all these languages and that on top of the things that some of the people in my family had done that because of their language skills was really motivating for me. So, you know, maybe I was an outlier in that and that I was going to put up with, you know, I didn't care. Give me your verbs. I don't care. You know, give me your verbs. Give me your vocab list. Like, I'll do them. I just I want to get good at this. So, you know, being able to understand that not everyone's a big geek like me, like most people don't like this. So how do I make this palpable and enjoyable and fun and make this a good experience? So doing that. And um, you've said uh, you identify as kind of like a reading specialist. So what, what, does, what does that mean? And how does that impact your teaching style? Well, um, I mean, that reading specialist is just is one of my credentials. You know, I teach language immersion. I teach English. I teach Spanish. You know, I, I K through eight language immersion, um, you know, English as a second language. So being a reading specialist, you know, I, I really believe if you can read, you can learn anything. So understanding, you know, what that journey looks like, people learning how to read. I then strive to, you know, create activities that sort of help students and learners take advantage of those things. So, for example, when we learn how to read, we're learning what the words we say look like, right? When you're first learning how to read, you're learning what they look like. And then once you can, so that's usually like sort of, um, you know, K through three, usually sort of in the United States. And, And Benny, I'm not sure about Ireland, do you have reception where you started like four? Is it similar to the UK or? Uh, Pretty similar to the UK. Yeah. So you would be learning during that time. And then once you've kind of hit past that stage, like sort of fourth grade in the United States, you know, that ideally you would be a fluent reader and you could pick up anything and read, you know? So, so 
creating activities and experiences where students can really take advantage of all of that reading to, because reading is one of the best ways to learn a language, I think, because all the grammar and vocabulary is completely in context. So learning how to, you know, pronunciation by reading out loud and learning how to dig through and, and, and get vocabulary all in ways that aren't boring. So sort of, you know, maybe pairing students up and like you read this section and you guys read that section and everyone's going to find, you know, make 10 questions out of what you read and we ask them to each other. We make it kind of a game. So making those activities really interactive. And so then they have the skills to where they'll want to go read on their own. You know, maybe they, maybe they want to read, you know, in Spanish about, you know, they love their their music stars and they love, you know, their athletes, that kind of thing, to have those skills to not just get frustrated when they're looking at, you know, this wall of text. Because when you're teaching people how to read, you would teach them, you would keep the range in sort of, so it's not too hard. And so in that it's not too easy, right? So if it's too hard, they're going to get frustrated. And if it's too easy, then they're not going to learn anything. So sort of 90%, right? That's kind of the 90, 94% of that they can understand all of that. Well, in a foreign language, what, what's going to happen? What are you going to look at? You're going to understand what, 50 maybe? If you're like in the B level, that's pretty frustrating. You're not going to enjoy that. So teaching them how to have some skills. And then back to the drama thing, making a story into a play, for example, or a skit or a monologue, things like that. You currently live in the UK, so you have experience teaching abroad. Um, how would someone get involved in that if they're interested in going abroad to teach? And what has your experience been teaching abroad? Yeah. So um, when I was very young, a long time ago, I went to Seoul, Korea. And just was going to I wanted to travel in Asia in my 20s. And um, I worked, you know, teaching English in Seoul. And I actually while I was there, I was meant to stay for one year. I got hired by um, a university, Sejong University in Seoul. And so I stayed a few more years and taught there. And it just really suited me. I really liked um, the, you know, being able to have sort of a a steady, stable job working with people, teaching, which I, I had experience in doing, um, and then being able to travel at the same time. So when I was in Seoul, you know, I, I had all these great, I went to Singapore, I went to Malaysia, I went to Thailand, I went to China, went to Hong Kong. It was fantastic. And I thought, well, I really want this. I, this is the lifestyle that I want to lead. So there's lots of um, international school systems. There um there are some school, there's international schools, there's international school systems. I happen to work for a system that has schools in some different places. So I work within one system. Um, so after Seoul, I got hired and worked in um, Japan, just outside of Yokohama for five years. And then I ended up over here in the UK, which isn't great for foreign languages, obviously, um, except for during the summers, you know, being able to go to Paris, you know, just a couple hours away and, and, and you know, study French or getting on Ryanair and going to Italy. That's been really great. But I have my sister, who is my best friend, works about an hour away from here. So. Excellent. And um, like when it comes to uh, figuring out where you stand on the spectrum of your uh, your level in a language, uh, like how do people uh, set their goals and figure out their proficiencies in, uh, in their languages? Yeah. So um, I did. So early on in my career, I did a lot of work. I got certified with the Center 
for applied linguistics to rate language proficiency. And I did it for some really selfish reasons to begin with, because, you know, you hear all these levels being thrown around and you kind of know, but I thought, you know, I want to be able to be a real authority. So how do you go from here to here? So I did this many years ago, this certification. And I think, I think the first thing, and you know, this is, I think this is one of the most important things. And I, I think that you, you do a really good job of modeling this, Benny, this whole speak from day one is that you're a speaker of a language at all these different levels. I mean, I, I speak languages, some a lot better than others, you know, but I still consider myself a speaker of a language. And I think that it's really important because if you think that you have to wait until you're at a certain point, that will keep you from having the confidence to communicate and you need to communicate to keep moving forward. Don't you? So if you can't understand anything, you know, that's like, you know, very clearly your A, your, your, you know, your novice level. Once you've built up enough words and phrases, you move into the intermediate level. So sort of B1. And I think a lot of people would consider that fluent because you can really actually do quite a bit. I mean, it sounds, doesn't sound, it's not the top. It doesn't sound great, but you can certainly do a lot with it. Um, and then knowing, and this is very general. So, so some of this is dependent on languages, right? So for example, you know, if I'm learning Italian, you know, it's going to take a, it's, it's going to be really easy to go from that, from, from through that A level, right? And the A level it, novice is always really fast, right? So you can take a few hundred hours of really focused communication and get to that next level. But if you're talking about a language, you know, Korean, for example, Korean, Japanese, Arabic, Mandarin, it's going to take you three times as long to progress through that. And then to that next level, it's going to take you about twice as long to make that sort of same amount of progress. And then you get up to C in advance, it's going to feel like forever. And you're not going to know how long, you know, when is this going to end? When am I going to hit my goals? But I think the really important takeaway is to just set yourself up for success in that you can go into it feeling pretty informed that, okay, if I'm studying Japanese, it's going to take me a lot longer to hit the same levels than it would if I were studying German or French or Spanish, for example. Now, there's more ways to do that. Um, certainly, you know, I've given you definitely a very, you know, cursory sort of crash course here, but, you know, without going into too much detail. Yeah. So words, novice A, sentences, intermediate B, paragraphs, advanced to C and beyond. You had just mentioned Benny speaking approach and how important speaking is. And I know in a conversation with you earlier, you were talking about how you have your students record themselves speaking a lot and how powerful it is for their confidence to speak and hear themselves speaking. Can you talk a little bit more about this and your strategies with speaking? Yeah. So um, I think that recording is super important and it, it's it. I think it is one of the most powerful tools out there. And I love that you know, we have phones now and they're just the ultimate language learning lab. Right. And I think that's one of the best apps is something like voice memos or 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 even something not so great, a desktop like, you know, there's Vocaroo. There's plenty of ways to do it. But at the end of the day, to record yourself. So if I'm working in the A level, let's say I might even take a list of words and read them or write something down that I then read or read stuff from a phrase book or read a dialogue from a language learning book, something that's kind of structured. And then once 
and do it like once a week, right? Until you don't need AIDS. And then that, cause that's really the ideal space for this work. So once you've gotten comfortable, you've used some AIDS, maybe you've bullet pointed out something that you want to talk about. Maybe you've read something, um, you know, even five minutes, like five minutes on a Friday, for example, I did that for years, um, just as a check-in. And you can do this with yourself. If you teach languages, you can do it with your students and you just talk. Students tend to need more structure. You know, they're, well, what do I talk about? Well, you know, here are some topics that you could talk about. And um, don't worry about your mistakes. Just do it. And the first few times you're going to feel icky and horrible. And then you're not going to want to listen to yourself. But that's not the point that you're documenting your progress. And as you speak, I think something really interesting happens is that's the time where you're processing all the things that you've learned. And you're going to learn where your gaps are right? Oh, wait, I didn't know how to say that. I didn't know how to say that. Well, then you go look it up, then you've learned, right? And you do it once a week and two months down the road, listen to your, compare the first recording and the last recording. And it is the best confidence builder I can recommend. It's great. And you get over your shyness. Yeah. And it's, it's one of the things we do in our, in our challenges, we get people to record videos of themselves at various stages of the progress. And it really does make a big difference when you look back because you, you imagine your current snapshot, people are very uh, self-critical, but seeing their progress over time, seeing their own past, it really does make a big difference. Yeah, there's, um, you know, uh, there's places where, you know, th that would be a nice thing to share. Maybe your iTalkie tutor, you know, you can you can record your session or you can have, OK, find my errors. So one one activity I love to do and this, you can't really do this with a level learners unless they're super confident, unless they're, you know, they're on the they're like, I don't care, you know, do an activity like that or pair work or, you know, something like that. And, and if you're an independent language learner, do this and record it and you share it with maybe your italki teacher or something like that. And, and you write down all of the errors. And it's really fun to, with a group, you, you write down the errors and you have everybody try to correct them. You can make a little game out of it. You can make points or, you know, I don't know, this is adult learners. You could do, you know, whatever you wanted with it, right? Like you can make it any kind of game you wanted. And, um, it really helps learn. It really helps you learn your grammar completely in context. You're like, what was I trying to say? And everybody will talk about the error and then you correct it and you'll walk away with, you know, a really great understanding in context of what you did. And uh, like, as well as games like that, um, what do you think uh, tends to make independent learners approach stand out from academic approaches and like, you know, because you, you've got the experience with both and you had a successful academic experience earlier. Um, but like for people uh, like as we touched on earlier, who, who don't have that, what other more innovative ways have you found people are using language learning independently? Oh, you know, I, I love that question. And I love I love what people are doing nowadays. You know, the the we're so connected now. You know, I would have loved to have been in this environment when I was a early language teacher, you know, I used to drag back DVDs and magazines and all of these things to share for myself and to share in my classroom. And you don't need to do that now. So you can watch Netflix, you can watch Yabla. So, so pleasurable activities are a bunch, they're, they're just out there. YouTube videos, you know, I love watching telenovelas. I love watching French reality shows, you know, um, 
you name it, it's out there of real immersive experiences. And this technology that we have now gets better and better all the time. And it's going to give you the tools to make it comprehensible. So back to what we were talking about through that acquisition, right? That natural picking up of language. We have the tools to make almost anything comprehensible, right? You've got captions, you've got subtitles, you have um, you know, places where you can translate. So, so I would say for independent learners, my top activities would be italki. And I know there's other things out there, but I love italki because um, that's really all I've used. So talking to native speakers, right? And getting over your shyness, watching, binge watching, things that you like. That's important. It doesn't have to be school to work. Reading things you like. You know, it can be, you know, I I, I spend a lot of time reading and writing and thinking like, so now I just want to shut off. I like reading about gossip and reality shows, things like that on my time off, right? What, you can do that in other languages. You could read, you know, people in Spanish um, studying abroad now, which I know sounds kind of daunting, but you can do that for like as little as two weeks. It can be like your vacation. You know, you stay in an Airbnb somewhere. Not this year is probably not realistic, but, you know, in the future, we'll be able to do that again. Um, music, learning how to cook. There's even tutorials on YouTube in different languages. You want to learn how to cook Italian food? It's there. You can have lots of pleasurable experiences learning languages and doing things you enjoy. I do a lot of walking in languages as well, just to get my exercise and my language in every day. Uh, in addition to like more specifically in the thread of doing things that you enjoy and have fun with in languages, you mentioned earlier games. And for me as a parent, I find that playing games with my kids is a really effective way to motivate them to want to speak and use their other languages other than English. And so you had mentioned one of the games that you like to play, but what other sort of in the classroom or, you know, at home with your kids language games do you find really effective? Yeah. So one super fun one. Do you that? How old are your kids? Four and seven. Four and seven. OK. Um, so do you know the game? This is this is just one. But so any of those preschool sort of games can be done in another language. So do you know the game? Guess who? Where you you have the people and they're in the rows and you have the, and you try to, you ask yes, no questions, right? That's a perfect game to play in another language. So I would make a cheat sheet with just pictures on it that has like the target language. I mean, I have that actually, I have that in French, I have it in Spanish and, you know, let them use the cheat sheet, cheat sheet. You know, does your person have blue eyes? Is your person wearing a blue shirt? And they do the elimination. They'll play over and over again. So things like that, things that you would normally, that you would play with them, and but just do it in the target language. And then I have a friend who um, really wanted her son to learn French. She's very passionate about French. And so she decided in the car is French time. And so he would make requests about the songs he wanted to do, whatever it was, they were going to do it in French. So having that time and he knew you know, it's French time when we get in the car. So really, I would say the same types of things that you would do. You know, it looks a little bit different when you've got a whole classroom full of people, but the whole concept's the same. So so things that are enjoyable to where they almost forget they're doing it in another language. So bingo or, you know, fly swatter, you know, anything game, pat, hot potato, games where you pass, things that are active. I think that's the key. And um, uh, like you've given a polyglot conference talk on uh, languages and culture and even racism and bias. How does how does this uh, impact people in ways they may not have considered? 
So, you know, we have, this is kind of, this is sort of a big, a big topic actually, but you know, I've always, like I said, I've always studied languages and um, I've always felt, you know, more and more that it's a way, it's a, it's a way for people to connect, right? Like you can't, you can't learn languages without connecting with people and with their cultures and, and, and really understanding a little bit more about humanity, I think, you know, cause I think we're a whole lot more alike than we are different. And, um, at the polyglot conference, that particular talk, and I was actually going to give that in Georgia, but I'm not going there this summer anymore. So my grandfather was um, president of an HBCU during the civil rights movement. So my, my, my mother's mother side of my family is mixed race from, you know, South Carolina and Georgia. And it was a really, you know, he endured some horrible things. He got two degrees from Harvard and um, went back to Georgia and he wasn't allowed to be a lawyer. They threw his exams out every year. And he ended up going down this path of, you know, becoming a professor. And he has just a really exceptional life story. And, um, you know, I always think about the, the things that he and my grandmother experienced. You know, they weren't allowed to stay in hotels in the South. They, they had to stay at other people's houses. Now, some good things came out of that. So my grandfather's best friend was Dr. Mays, and he's he was Martin Luther King's mentor. Like, they were not allowed to stay in hotels. So they travel to Atlanta. They stay and so I'm really, I really feel like if people had, we treat each other as, you know, as humans and connect, because I, I think that languages are a way to do that. And a couple of years ago, I had an opportunity to go to um, the Anne Frank house in Amsterdam. And it was a, it was a seminar for teachers actually. So it wasn't just touring the house. We got to work with their education director and they, they have, they do a lot of work with schools um, they do something specifically called the memory walk where you go um, and you work with a group of students and you 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 do a research project on the history of your area, wherever that is, you know, and they've got them all over the world. They've got, you know, places in Texas, places, Berlin, all over the world. Kids are doing this project with the Anne Frank Foundation. And they also do a lot of work with refugees. And so I feel like having you know all of that intentional work of us connecting and seeing each other as human beings is done can be done through languages i kind of feel like that's our part you know um teaching people and helping people other learn that other languages aren't that hard and it's just a way to connect with people and i think that if people i i, I personally don't think it's my humble opinion that any of this would exist if you know if we if if people if this was more embedded in our society, that's a humble, my humble opinion. <laughs> One of the questions that we like to ask all of um, the guests on the podcast, given that this is the language hacking podcast, is what their definition of language hacking is. But I'm going to put a little caveat in this for you because I know you have some tips for rapidly learning a language or kind of speeding up your language learning. So um, what would language hacking be for you maybe with that lens? Okay. So I think that language hacking is firstly, hacking just means getting into something that's closed or hard to get into. Right. And I think we can agree that, you know, languages can, can be that way or they can seem that way without the right tools and the right information. Um, but I think knowing that a few really important things, you don't have to be perfect, just get started right? You can talk to people, 
you might not make any sense, but you will eventually just keep at it. Just keep showing up. Right. And do things you love. If you do the same thing over and over, you'll quit and you won't get anywhere. Absolutely. And uh, for people who are curious to find out more, what's, uh, what kind of things are you working on and what projects do you have coming up? Yeah. So um, let's see. I have a podcast. So reallifelanguage.com slash reallifelanguage blog. Um, I've written I've written a couple of books. I self-published one book and I, I've got another book, another couple books in the works that hopefully I'll have news on very soon. And um, yeah, just keep working. I'm just working on working on teaching and learning languages. That's all. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you very much. And uh, we'll definitely make sure that people can uh, find you in the show notes and check out all of your uh, the stuff you publish, your site and everything. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a very interesting chat. Thanks so much for joining us. It's been fun. Thanks so much. All right. So at the end of each podcast, Benny and I like to share something that we took away from our talk with the guest. And this is something that you can apply to your own language learning so that you can try out new things, see immediate results and get the most bang for your buck. So, Benny, we'll start with you. What was your takeaway with our chat with Janina? So uh, she described it as uh, lowering the affect. But I liked what she was saying about how, um, you know, we we do tend to overthink things and uh, care a bit too much. Uh, about our mistakes and that'll hold us back. And uh, one thing she really finds very beneficial is implementing games, like she, she suggested, Guess Who and all these other things. By implementing games and community, you those start to be the things that you focus your energy on and you're like with children, they're they're moving their bodies and things. And this distracts them in a way that, as she said, they care less about the mistakes that they're making. And I think um, uh, like we touched on many things that she said that watching YouTube videos and all these ways are effectively like enjoying the language and finding ways that you can distract yourself from overthinking, oh, am I conjugating this verb right? Am I using this this word correctly? And I think this uh, sense of games and community and interacting with people can be uh, a huge benefit to people who tend to be perfectionists and overthink uh, every single aspect of the language. So I really like that she mentioned that. And what about yours? I'd have to say it was her bringing up the importance of recording yourself speaking. And this isn't something that's new for me because I see it every single day in the Fluent in Three Months Challenge. But I just think that it's worth pointing out in this context because there are a lot of people who don't do that. And even for me, I still have a lot of resistance around it. So it's like, oh, I need to record my day 30 video coming up for Russian. And it's like in my head, I'm like, oh, I don't really want to do this. But I know it's a really great way to document where I was, where I'm at, really see my progress, and then also gain a lot of confidence in speaking the language. Because more often than not, I find that when I go back and watch those videos, I speak better than I think that I do. And it's just really encouraging to have that there. And then also, you know, six months down the line to go back and watch something. And then you can really see how much progress you've actually made. So I would say if you're not recording yourself speaking your language, whether it's video or audio, uh, it's definitely something that you should be doing. That's something that you can start doing right now. So, you know, after you finish listening to this podcast, you know, close your podcast app, open up your 
voice recorder app and record yourself speaking and or just do a quick video, then watch it or listen to it. Not only is it powerful in actually being able to see where you're at and what you can do, but it's also a really great way to create a feedback loop for yourself because you'd be surprised just how much feedback you can give yourself in listening to the audio. You'll catch mistakes that you don't realize that you're making. You'll catch little things that you don't know that you're doing. And it's just really helpful. So that's it from me. Excellent stuff. Once again, if you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review at languagehacking.com slash review. All of the resources, tools, and everything else mentioned in this episode are available to you in the show notes. And until the next time, happy language learning. Happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.